HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Square. If you run a restaurant or business, Square has the tools to help you stay connected to customers, shift your business, and navigate this uniquely challenging time. Learn more at square.com slash go slash industry. Well, hello. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Wednesday, May 27th, 2020. This is the 252nd episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is the co-founder of a premier chef-driven restaurant group based in Chicago, and I will introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion on COVID-19, my solo dining takeout experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip off the show with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to have strong work ethic. Let's do our best to be our best, from our attitudes to our words and actions. Let's not expect others to carry the weight for us, but rather let's be the ones who make things happen and find solutions. Let's strive to be dedicated leaders and give more than 100% to everything we do, knowing that having high standards and a sense of responsibility will not only earn respect, but will make for a better and more productive world. That's my tip today. Now, I'm really honored to have my guest on the show with me. It is Kevin Baim. He is the co-founder of Boca Restaurant Group based in Chicago. After opening 30 restaurants over the last 27 years, Kevin has become one of the nation's foremost visionaries in the field of hospitality. Along with his partner, Rob Katz, he has built a restaurant group based on great chefs, inspired design, and enlightened hospitality. And he has received numerous accolades, including... 16 James Beard finalist nominations and a win for Outstanding Restaurateur in 2019, two Food and Wine Best New Chefs, nine consecutive Michelin stars for Boca, six Boca Group restaurants in Chicago Tribune's Top 50 list, and an Iron Chef designation for Stephanie Izard. Kevin is also a founding member of the Independent Restaurant Coalition, fighting to save independent restaurants affected by COVID-19. So hi, Kevin. Welcome to the show. Hey, Sherry. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? You know, I'm sitting in an empty Boca Restaurant Group office, which is, even though I've been doing this for eight or nine straight weeks, is still kind of creepy to me. I'm, I'm looking forward to the time when there's uh, people around me again, in all respects. Yeah, well, I, know. I, I can. I can only imagine. It's got to be very strange because... I feel I've been in New York City this whole time and it's it was really really strange at the beginning and it, but it's still the city still feels ex- very different and so um yeah I can only imagine 
I like to start out my show with my guests to find out uh, a bit about your background, where you grew up, when you got the restaurant bug and decided this is what you wanted to do for your career. Yeah, I, I grew up in, in Springfield, Illinois. You know, my parents had nothing to do with the restaurant business. My mom uh, worked at Montgomery Ward at the mall. My dad worked for a little insurance company. Um, and we were, you know, decidedly middle class. And so we didn't dine out much. And I remember dining out at a, at a restaurant called Southern Air when I was 10 years old for Mother's Day brunch. And they had oysters and they had caviar. And it was the first time I'd ever seen those things you know, live and in person. And I was just, I was fascinated by fine foods and the finer things in life. And I told my parents when we got home from Mother's Day brunch that I wanted to be a restaurateur. Even though I don't think I said restaurateur, I didn't know what that word meant, but I said I wanted to have my own restaurant someday. Um, so I guess that that was the initial conversation. And then <clears throat> I went to college. Um, at that point, I was telling people that I was going to be a lawyer, <laughs> even though I, I don't think I had any passion for that. And in the back of my mind, I still was thinking about wanting to be a restaurant owner. And so my junior year, I, I dropped out of school and headed south and uh, went to work at a legitimate restaurant. I should say I faked my way into working at a legitimate restaurant. I wrote a fake resume and I got a job as a captain at a restaurant called the Beach House Restaurant. Um, and that's kind of where it all began. Yeah. And then you stayed in Florida for a bit. Um and you, you, you opened restaurants there or did you just manage restaurants or? No, I did. I opened up. Yes. Yeah. So my, my girlfriend at the time and I scraped some money together and we opened up, um, which was, uh, our first restaurant was lazy days cafe, a six table restaurant that the two of us did. And I was the, I was the server. She was the chef, um, two person operation. Um, and that's where it all began. You know, we were, we were learning as we went. That was kind of the uh, bachelor's and master's degree of opening up a restaurant. And then somebody bought us out uh, soon after that. And I opened up on my own a, a, a wine bar, sushi bar, rock and roll bar um, uh, with, with, a, with a guy named Jeff that lived down there who I'd also worked with at the beach house. Um, 100 wines by the glass, sushi and rock and roll. And, uh, and that was number two. And then I ended up selling that and then moved back up north. Wow. Did you have any mentors at the time in the industry or were you kind of just learning as you as you practiced? <laughs> well, you know, at the beginning, it was definitely fake it until you make it. Um, and, you know, Teresa definitely knew more than I did about restaurants at that point. So I definitely learned things from her. But um, but Scott Alderson was a great chef that lived down there. And when I met him, it was kind of like when you, you know, you're, you're always searching for your people. When I met Scott, I was like, oh my gosh, they do exist. He had, he had worked at, at Stars in San Francisco and had was obsessed with food and restaurants. And so having conversations with him was like this massive breath of fresh air. And he knew the finer points of service. He had worked at Stars. Um, and so I learned from him on one aspect. And then I met this um, six foot five Belgian guy named Oliver Petit. And he worked at a bed and breakfast called Josephine's and I became friends with him. And he ended up opening up a place that became iconic down there called the Red Bar. Um, and we kind of opened the Red Bar and my wine bar at the same time. And from him, he was the most charming front of the house guy I ever met in my entire life. I loved watching him work a dining room. So from Scott, Scott was this intellectual side. Um, Ollie was this really emotional side to restaurants um, and the alchemy of those two amazing souls, um, you know, helped push me in a, in a better direction. Yeah. So then how did you meet Rob Katz and you moved back to Chicago and I, I mean, I, you know, I don't know. I'm like, how did you create this amazing Boca restaurant group? It's like, it just has grown so much over the years, but back to the beginning, like where did this partnership come about with, with Rob? Yeah. So I had, I had moved back up and I'd opened a restaurant in Springfield and I'd opened up a restaurant in Nashville. Nashville did not go as well. Um, and I came up and I went to Chicago wanting to do a place in Chicago. She, Rob had been in the, in the bar and nightclub business 
um, and was looking to open up a restaurant. I was looking to get into Chicago and a friend of a friend said, Hey, you two should meet, you know, I think you'd get along. And we were supposed to have a half hour cup of coffee and we sat there for four hours. And at the end of those four hours, we said, what's the worst that could happen? Let's open up one restaurant together. So there was no grand, there was no grand plan in the beginning of having a group or having multiple restaurants together. We were just two young guys, um, you know, who didn't have much money, who wanted to open up a restaurant in Lincoln Park and, and open up a really great neighborhood restaurant. That was the original idea. Um, and I think from that grew this architecture of a restaurant group, you know, after we, um, after we like got our footing, you know, the first six months, it was like Rob would come in and he would turn the lights down and he would turn the music up. And then I would turn the music down and turn the lights up. And so we, we, once we got on the same page, we were like, hey, maybe we have something here. And let's talk about doing a, a, a restaurant group and how would our group be different? And I think those initial conversations was that they were going to be characterized by partnerships with multiple chefs, um, that we could, we could have this infrastructure of financial responsibility and of hospitality. Um, and we were really into design and the chefs could come in and, and create and, and together we could build something that actually like stood the test of time. Um, and so that was the general idea in the beginning. That was the dream at least. Wow. Yeah. And so was the first restaurant Boca? It was. Yeah. Boca's okay. been open. Where you Boca's are. Been, yeah, yeah. Boca's been open 17 years. Um, and in the beginning, yeah. Simple little restaurant in the beginning um that that did that did pretty well um and we were fairly deliberate in the beginning we we opened in 2003 and we in late 2005 um we opened up a second restaurant and then three years later we opened up a third restaurant so in those first five or six years we just had we had three restaurants and and then that's when it kind of exploded yeah well i don't know if you know this but i lived in chicago from 95 to 98 and I worked in restaurants. That was that was. I mean, I had the I had the restaurant bug after school, and I I, w- I did everything from an office manager at Rock Bottom Brewery, the one that's still there oh, down State yeah. and Grand. Um, and then i I went to I went to the Cooking Academy of Chicago, which no longer exists, but I I, I did a cooking program, and then I got a, a what I consider the my high end. Um, culinary experience when I was a server at Charlie Trotter's. So, um, but I, I met, you know, the dining scene has changed so much since then because this is, yeah, this is like five years before you, you started. And just to see how, how your restaurant group has just exploded and, and it's just, it's the, I mean, the West Loop did not exist when I lived there. (laughs) Yeah. It's the, the, the proliferation of the restaurant culture and chef-driven restaurants since 2001, 2002 has just exploded kind of everywhere. And, and in Chicago, you know, you look at companies like ours, but also, you know, one-off hospitality and let us entertain you and Alinea's group and, and Hog Salt, you know, all these, uh, you know, Gibson's group, all those groups were growing at the same time. Um, so it was a pretty exciting place to be because there were so many people that were ambitious and creative and there was all this creative energy floating around and all these chefs who became, you know, iconic chefs. I mean, you know, Boca is right next door to Alinea. You know, what a great place to be around all that creative energy um, and all the people that have walked in those doors and been in that kitchen. Um, it's, it's, it's inspiring all the time. I love, I love being in the city and I have a deep and passionate love affair with with Chicago and the Chicago restaurant community. Yeah, well, that's that's a, a good segue into maybe what's happening now with, with I mean, this unprecedented time with COVID-19 because I've been following what what Grant and Nick are doing at Alinea with this, uh, their, their takeout delivery. Um, they definitely figured out a system that seems to be working really well. Um, so how are you... How are you? How are you doing? And 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 pivoting in this time. 
We're doing okay. You know, yeah, Grant and Nick pivoted amazing, and there are, there are big success stories too. You look at Grant and Nick. You look at um, you know look at the Canlis uh, boys in Seattle and what they were able to do. Um, and you know, so we we slowly rolled out takeout. In the beginning, we said let's sit out and, and see what's happening and make sure we understand all of this stuff. And then when we decided to roll it out, we wanted to roll it out in phases because if you're really going to pivot, it's like opening up a brand new restaurant. So that, that first, the first two rollouts were Boca, um, which was kind of a no brainer because, you know, Lee is so great at chicken and then building a chicken set, a roasted cauliflower set, a salmon set, putting it on talk and then doing pickup only. And that very quickly, did very, very well. And then with Little Goat, Stephanie did these curated grocery bags where she was one-stepping everything inside and then providing a link in the grocery bag to her cooking everything inside of there. Um, and then also giving someone a golden ticket where she was doing a private Zoom with somebody um, uh, to cook everything in the bag. And so that kind of took off um, really well. And so then we started to roll everything out in phases. And, and even though it doesn't come close to what we do on a normal basis. It allowed us to build some sort of a model um, to start bringing uh, a little bit of money in instead of it all just flying out the door, even though there's still a lot of money flying out the door, to be completely honest. Yeah, well, I and I have to say, when I saw Girl and the Goat Series, um, that, that, that I think that's still my favorite um title for this whole what's happening <laughs> which it was like so clever and 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 it's been you know I was looking on your website of the different things you're doing with your different concepts um from grill kits or the groceries and um it's you know it fits it fits the brand and I I think it's it's smart the way you're doing it I mean it has to be really I don't know it's all it's a whole new it's a whole new platform it's a whole new uh, way of doing business yeah, I think everybody's just got to try to find their sweet spot. You know, it's it's there's some tinkering that that's involved in it to figure out how to make it work. There's a lot of competition. Everybody's doing delivery food, um, so I, you know I, I feel for everybody out there. We're all we're all trying it together. What do you do? Do you do pickup only? Do you also use the delivery services? Do you do what you were doing before? Do you pivot to something completely different? How do you market that? There's a million questions, but you got to fight the good fight. Um, and you know, that's, that's what we're trying to do on a, on a weekly basis is keep trying to tweak it just a little bit to find the sweetest spot that we can, you know, look for the silver linings and all this. Yeah, absolutely. And you, I mean, you wrote a really beautiful piece in Esquire too, when this came out, um, I know, you know, it was entitled, I furloughed 1800 employees the day after my mom died and I've never needed restaurants more. Um, it really, it was touching and I'm so sorry about your mom. I really, um, I can't, I can't imagine what that was like and what it's like now for you. Um, I, I, I appreciate that. She was, she was a great lady. Um, and, uh, yeah, I miss her, but, um, it was, I, I mean, I guess I was really fortunate because um, we were given a lot more time than we were supposed to have. She was given three to six months to live and, and she lived for 18 months. Um, she's the strongest person I ever met in my entire life. So we got some extra time together and we had some really good time together. You know, that's the one thing about given time is if you're smart, none of that time together you have after that is bullshit, you know it's all real time. And we did, we had some, we had some real conversations and, and that was good. And then the other fortunate thing was, you know, having somewhere to put my energy into afterwards. Um, I don't know if that's mentally healthy or not, but I can, but throwing myself into, you know, one, you know, keeping the restaurant solvent with Rob, um, but also working on the IRC um, at least, gave me something to fill my time with and, and have some purpose. And so the days have been long, but I think it's probably ultimately helped me uh, mentally. Yeah. I mean, that's, I would, I, I feel I could, yeah, see how that is. So, and I don't, you know, I, I think the work that you've, you've done with the independent restaurant coalition and just, 
to see that come together um, has been quite amazing. I mean, I've, you know, I'm, I'm, I've, I've been keeping up on it since the beginning. I've listened to many other podcasts about what's happening, but do you want to talk a little bit about, about like what, what's happening now and what you've been advocating for and their successes? Cause I feel there have been, um, since, since the start. Yeah. For, well, first of all, this is, you know, this is a group of, you know, 130 people now who, um, in the beginning was, you know, Andrew Chasen, um, talking to Tom Calicchio at the beginning, and then Will Gadara, and then Donnie Medea, and then myself, and uh, Kwame Anwachi, and Naomi Pomeroy, and uh, and and my partner Rob. And I think that was the, what the first call was. It was like nine or ten of us. Um, and uh, you know, with the initial conversation being, how do we get more of a voice in Washington? And then Will going out and and, and raising and Will and Andrew going out and raising some money. You know, hiring a couple lobbyists, putting, getting an executive director together, and then immediately saying, "What are we looking for?" And in the beginning, PPP was being constructed, but it had already been mostly written, and we so we had a li- we had some impact there towards the end to shape it a little bit um, before that came out, and then since then, um, really trying to shape those changes, and now. There are some PPP changes. There's the Roy bill, which is actually up for a vote um, in the House tomorrow, um, that is that is actually addressing uh, a lot of these changes that we've been talking about to really allow restaurants to use them. PPP was originally written like we were all going to be open on April 12th, which of course we were not. Um, right. it, it's it, they, they were writing something for a three or four week problem that's going to be an eight or 10 month problem. So it's kind of like, we need PPP to get us to reopen. And then we need a stabilization fund to keep us open. So that's the other part, which is uh, Representative uh, Blumenhauer uh, has uh, uh, authored a bill um, that's a stabilization fund just for the restaurant industry. Um, And so we're hoping that has some real legs to it uh, and if you look at America historically, um, we've bailed out many industries that were culpable of their own demise from, you know, Chrysler in the late seventies, when they couldn't build a small economical car, he gave them a billion and a half dollars to, to Fannie and Freddie, to the airline business. Um, they were deemed important enough to give a carve out to, we are the largest private employer in the United States. Um, and we've done nothing wrong in this instance. We were mandated to close. Um, and yet, to this point, we haven't gotten a specific carve out for our industry. Um, and when you look at all of the different industries connected to us, um, when you look at that food chain, um, from farmers to winemakers, to suppliers, to PR, to food journalists, um, to the guy who makes latex gloves. Um, that's a massive group of people. That's 50 million people. Um, and so the supply chain is, is so important and everybody's affected right now. So I'm just hoping that some relief is coming very, very soon. Um, because as you know, Sherry, um, restaurants are such a part of our society probably one that we take for, for granted. Um, this is where we do so many things. Um, we get married in these social spaces. We have last dinners in these social spaces. We, we commune with friends. We fall in love. We have first dates, um, uh, you know, bucket list dinners. All these things happen in these spaces, and they're really truly at risk of, of going away without help. And I think that the work that IRC do, has done has certainly helped get us to this point with the stabilization fund and the PPP changes and fingers crossed that in the next few weeks, we'll, we'll see um, some of these seeds that we planted actually bloom some flowers. Yeah, no, it's so true. Everything you said and yeah, restaurants, it's, they're, they're entirely my life and everyone I know, but you know, when you was thinking when you were talking about, um, it's always been easy for me to talk about what I do in my career with anyone because everyone 
wants to talk about food and restaurants and can relate. It's everyone has a connection, even if it's it's not as much as let's say me who who you know it's my work and and also totally my my social life. But you're right, everyone everyone has those special occasions and a relationship with restaurants. And um, I you know I I I'm I'm hopeful for the future. I really um, I I think the the work you guys are doing is so important. And I have to say, I was very impressed that you guys got a seat at the White House table uh, for the, the restaurant meeting. I was I was nervous watching. <laughs> oh, but um, yeah, I thought Will, you know, Will and Sean and just having having a presence there. I mean, what did that what did that mean for you guys? Well, I think that when the initial conversation was, let's have a voice in Washington. And so you mobilize and eight or nine weeks later, you're sitting at the White House. Um, then, you know, certainly some of that mission uh, was accomplished. Um, and so, yeah, it was it, it certainly was a positive step forward. But and and to be clear, you know, Will and Sean were representing the voices of many people. He was They were representing the voices of of everybody that's at the IRC. Um, and uh, that's the voice that we want to get out there is like, it's not just um, the guy who owns a bunch of restaurants in Chicago or a bunch of restaurants in New York. It's the, it's the guy who has one 10 table restaurant um, in Idaho. And it's, um, it's the, the 30th seat restaurant um, in, uh, in, in Chinatown. And it's, uh, you know, it's it's everyone. Um, and so I think the IRC has legs to be um, an organization that's representing uh, the restaurant business for a long, long time, not just the, the voice for during COVID-19, but many things, because, you know, I think the model needs to change moving forward. You know, one of the things it did was shine a bright light on the fragility of the restaurant model. Um, and I love this business and I want this business to be good for anybody anywhere who wants to be a part of it. Um, and so we, we need, we, we've got some work to do and some tinkering to do because it used to be a lot easier to make money and survive in this business. Um, and we, we need to figure out moving forward how we can take care of the people that work for us, um, uh, uh, take care of our suppliers, take care of ourselves and how everybody can live a balanced life and make a living. Um, I think that's possible, but we all need to work together to find it. And perhaps the IRC can be a part of that solution. Yes. Yes. Well, I think, I think you guys are on, on the right path for sure. Uh, let me ask you my question from my last guest on episode 251. I had on Anna Polanski. She's the founder of Polanski and Friends and the co-founder of Ask Chefs Anything. And she wants to know, as a talented restaurateur, where do you feel that our community, including the media, marketing, and event community, can be most helpful for restaurants right now? They can talk to their congressmen. Right now, that's the number one thing, is that we need to be unified about um, PVP changes and a stabilization fund. And if everybody talks to um, all their representatives, Republican and Democrat, um, to help us, um, we need that unified statement. Um, that's the number one thing that can happen. Great. So, uh, I mean, that's important. With um, in Chicago right now, what's what's the scene like? What's what's happening with I don't know, you know, overall with the community there and and openings. I'm so proud of Chicago. You know, almost immediately, you know, guys like Jason Hamill and and Jason Vincent um, got together and got, you know, like 70 chefs together, like two days after the state mandate closed and and started getting a voice together for our community. I think everybody's really gotten together. There's a lot of texts and phone calls that happen all the time. We're just all trying to support each other. It's been um, it's been uh, uh, more uh, revelry than rivalry, as, as my friend Will Gadara likes to say, um, which has been really great. So I, I, so I think that for the most part, there's 
there, there's been good feelings, but the longer it goes on, Sherry, without these changes, people are getting more and more rattled. Um, when, when you don't, you know, yes, there are some takeout successes, but takeout does not um, completely replace the revenue that was coming in before. And people might've cut rent deals for one month, two months, but now those rent deals are going away and they're saying, how do I survive? And so I think everybody everywhere is starting to get a little rattled at this point. Um, I can hear it in people's voices. I see it in people's texts. Um, and I know it because I'm getting a little rattled. Yeah, I want to help. <laughs> I'm listening to you. <laughs> they just want to help. I want to fix things. Well, um, there, there's some things. So some things you just can't fix. Like, like yeah. listen, we, we have a restaurant that, that has $85,000 a month rent. There's no amount of takeout that's going to get, allow us to be able to pay that rent there. Um, it just is what it is. And so when you look at each property and you add up rent plus insurance plus leased equipment um, plus licensing, um, those, those expenses still exist. So we're all just like operating a triage unit right now and trying to, uh, trying to limit the bleeding as much as we possibly can. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't think I mentioned yet on this show, but you have 23 concepts. I mean, it's a lot. And, and I was looking at your list of different restaurants and I've been to, I think it's like eight or nine. I'm, I'm, which I, I'm very proud of. I'm sorry. I haven't nice been to all of them. Nice <laughs> done. Thank you. But I, I love your restaurants. I love, I love what you do. Um, so and I can, yeah, you have a lot on your plate. I mean, that's a lot. That's, it's a, it's a, it's a big restaurant group. I mean, especially I think in our industry, there aren't, I mean, I don't know, people have like five restaurants. So it's, it's like a bigger group. So Yeah. Well, listen, but every, listen, every, it doesn't matter if you have one, five or, or 23, it's, it's a big problem um, for everybody right now. I think we're, we're, we're all, we're all feeling it. I'm lucky to have a really great business partner and, and Rob and, and, and we can work together on stuff. And I've, I'm lucky to have uh, a team of people that are passionate and hardworking, incredibly smart, you know, six chef partners that are, that are um, brilliant. Um, a, a leadership team that includes Ian Goldberg and Abby Kretzer and Jamie Madonia and Taylor Crowley and Gabe Garza that, that are just off the charts smart and hardworking. And so I'm, I'm fortunate to have a lot of infrastructure around me. Um, um, so there's that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's, I know that's great and it is helpful for sure. Okay. So let's take a little break and then we will come back and we'll play my speed round game. We'll talk some industry news. We'll have my solo dining takeout experience and the final question. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by Square. We all know that this is an incredibly challenging time for our friends running restaurants and small food businesses. With social distancing in place, people are staying home and eating in, and restaurants have had to pivot to pickup and delivery only. HRN would usually be recording our podcast from our studio inside Roberta's, but since they've had to close their dining room, they've ramped up their frozen pizza production, set up a wine and grocery shop, and seen their delivery orders skyrocket. Like Roberta's, many restaurants have been changing offerings day by day as they figure out how to best serve their customers. If you run a restaurant or a small business, Square has the tools to help you adapt. One of these tools is the Square online store. It lets you set up a free online ordering page with curbside pickup and local delivery so you can keep customers safe. You can deliver orders yourself or integrate with delivery partners. Its order hub lets you manage all your incoming orders in one place, no matter which delivery partners you choose to use. Square has all the tools to help you stay connected to customers no matter where they are. See everything that's available by visiting square.com slash go slash industry. 
Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and my guest today is Kevin Baim. He's the co-owner of Boca Restaurant Group based in Chicago. So, Kevin, it's time for my speed round game. Okay. What this is, is I'm going to name a couple things and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, here we go. Eat in or eat out? Uh, eat out. Eat out. Wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne? Tough choice <laughs> between wine and tequila, but I'm going to go with wine, sled edge. Uh, tequila is noted, though. Okay. Tasting menu or a la carte? Depends on my mood, depends on the restaurant, but as a general rule, a la carte. Okay. Small plates or large plates? Large? Oh, uh, God. Small plates, but I like my own food. I don't like sharing my food. <laughs> <laughs> so one large, large plate just for you. Yeah. How about communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Uh, I like tipping. All right. How about being on stage at Steppen, Steppenwolf Theater the welcome conference or being on camera as a judge on top chef welcome welcome conference <laughs> listen both are both are great experiences um it's just you know uh, yeah it top chef's top chef's nerve-wracking <laughs> it's nerve-wracking and it's tough to it's tough to be a judge um you know those are all great chefs that are on there and you're kind of you're kind of forced to be critical um I think I was edited more critical than I wanted to be. When I you were great. That. I watched. It was a recent episode, and and I was at the welcome conference too, and you were great there too. So that would that. I'll take, is, the, I'll take the welcome conference. Okay. Okay. Um, but, but I have deep respect for everybody on Top Chef. Those guys are wizards. Um, you know, Gail and Tom yeah. and, and and Podma are so smart. Yeah, no, I hear you. Um, you did, you did great. So, um, so welcome, conference. Okay, a couple more. I have yoga, Pilates, weight training, meditation, or sound healing, or any other. I don't know. I I know you I'm have a, another. I'm a yogi. <laughs> I'm a yogi. So it's. Are yoga. you? Me too. That's awesome. Um, but was it Bian your 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 wellness? It's, it's called Be, it's called Beyond. Beyond, um, okay. And it's uh, yeah, it's uh, it'll be the most comprehensive wellness private club uh, that exists in the country. Um, uh, yeah, it's it, gym replacement, yoga replacement, Pilates replacement, full health food restaurant, full medical center, beauty, massage, um, nap room, listening room. It's it's a place fully designed to kind of restore you, make you healthier, make you sleep better, make you happier. Wow. I mean, we really need that even more so now. <laughs> yes. I could, I could use it now. Opens yeah. in October. Opens in October. Livebeyond.com. L-I-V-E-B-I-N.com. Okay, cool. Okay, my last two are cheese plate or dessert? Dessert. Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Chicago? Chicago. I mean, how could you not, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I like I like Manhattan and Brooklyn a lot. I love Chicago. Chicago is my my deep love. Yeah. Well, that's great. That was the game. So, um, for industry news, I've been you know highlighting articles and things happening with COVID nineteen and. So there was an article in the Wall Street Journal by Charles Passy, and it was entitled, After Lockdowns, Restaurants Aim to Jazz Up Dining Rooms. Capacity limits will leave an empty feel, so chefs are coming up with ways to fill seats a little bit of Broadway. Um, I don't know. Did you did you see this piece? It was it um, 
it it pointed out a couple uh, restaurants and restaurateurs of what they're they're thinking of doing with reopening, such as Eric Repair at La Bernardin, um, talking about maybe doing like a center stage and some cooking in, for the guests. Um, I thought that was cool. Um, one that's gotten a lot of attention is the Inn at Little Washington uh, is talking about yeah. putting 1940s mannequins uh, in some of the empty tables to make it feel not empty. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. That's it. There's, there's so many opportunities to be innovative. Um, and, and right now we haven't even gotten to 25% occupancy in Chicago. So we'll see. It remains to be seen, but we're talking about a lot of different things. You know, one of the things I, that we've been talking about internally is like for, if we're at 50%, every table, um, the table next to them becomes a Mies table. And we almost set it up almost, you know, what a surgeon's table looks like when it's got all of their utensils sitting out on there, that we build these beautiful Mies tables. So every single diner's stuff is not commingled with anyone else's. And if oh, we've already cool. had them pre-order, we set this table up beautifully with all their stuff on it. Um, and I think it just gives it a, an added layer of security for diners that the only stuff we're using for you right now is this stuff which has all been sanitized. It's set perfectly. It's not commingled with anybody else's stuff. So we think that could look really soigné. Um, and we've, yes, we've definitely thought about utilizing some of the space to have live music in or, 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 or some sort of a show. I mean, so yes, we'll, I think we need to see first how this all goes down with how much they open up our dining rooms. Um, and because everything is changing so quickly, um, they make it difficult to plan and pivot. It either it either happens quickly or it doesn't happen at all. So we've been, yeah, kind of uh, <laughs> waiting and seeing and all this stuff with a backup of innovative ideas that we can pounce on when we need to. Yeah, well, that that's smart, and that I, I really like that idea. I mean, it's it's like another, you know, the whole idea with the table side. Uh, presentations or, you know, things. It's um, yes. definitely a smart way, I think, to use the space. And um, yeah, this is a time, I guess, you know, people can be creative and try to figure out, you know, what what could work. And I've heard a lot of people say also, it's a, it's a good time to to maybe try something that, you know, you maybe a little far-fetched, but, but give it a shot, because I think people will be kind of forgiving if it doesn't play out as well as you anticipated. Yes. So, well, that's cool. Um, yeah, well, it's, uh, it was an interesting read to see what people are up to. Um, so um, I'm going to do my solo dining takeout experience. So this week it's from Little Owl. Here's the rundown. The location, 90 Bedford Street, West Village, New York City. The concept, a bold Mediterranean cuisine that is the essence of neighborhood dining in Manhattan. The chef and owner, Joey Campanero. So why did I take out? Well, because I want to support a restaurant that I truly appreciate. So my experience. So last Thursday, I jumped on a city bike, which I find I often do now to get out and to get some fresh air. And um, I ended up down in the village area, and uh, I, I then looked up uh, their website, and I was able to order takeout um, directly from their website. It was around 7.30, and I picked, like, the next time slot um, available, and it was cool. The app on their, on their website, you could, you could see when the order went through, when it went to the kitchen, and when it was going to be ready. And I also got a text message right away that my order went through, and then I got a text message when it was ready. Um, I, I then, I was over I was over by uh, the the river, and so I walked I walked over to the restaurant. It was about ten minutes away, and I sat outside on their bench until it was ready. Um, people were waiting too. Everyone was socially distanced, wearing masks. Um, I asked for Joey. He wasn't there. He had been there earlier, so sorry I missed him. But um, I got my order. I took it to a nearby park. Um, I started eating. It, it got it got kind of messy, so I decided to pack it back up and I got on my bike and I came home and I finished. So what did I get? I had their pork chop. 
uh, medium rare with dandelion and fennel salad. I also had grilled jumbo asparagus with lemon pepper. My take, it was everything was delicious. And, you know, I haven't really had meat much at all since this pandemic started. I had a Shake Shack burger the other day. Um, but beyond that, um, I was excited to, to dive into this pork chop because it's not something I've been eating much of or cooking at home. Um, so it was delicious. And the asparagus in season, wonderful. I ate those with my hand, these big asparagus um, pieces. So the ambiance, I was on a little park bench in the West Village and then followed by my home uptown. Perfect for any meal for takeout or delivery as they are open all day. Interesting tidbit. So the restaurant's location is actually on a corner where the TV show Friends was filmed. It's 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 the building that is apparently the apartment on Friends. And so typically this corner is full of tourists just getting getting a view. And but since this pandemic happened, there the tourists aren't here. So um, we'll see we'll see what the future holds. Uh, personal fun fun fact: um, Joey's business partner, Mikey Price, he has a restaurant called The Clam, and they were one of the first restaurants to switch into doing a a market and offering fish, um, seafood and fish that you could take out and to go. Uh, take out with you and make it home. And they also as prepared seafood dishes. Um, and I'm looking forward to doing that as another takeout experience. Um, and also just side note, Mikey and Joey were guests of mine on my show on episode 124. So the cost of my meal at the Little Owl was $35, not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes, I would. And their website is thelittleowlnyc.com. So there you go. Have you ever been to the Little Owl? <laughs> but I will now. Oh, cool! It's it's a great neighborhood restaurant. It's it's um, it's tiny though. You know, I start thinking about small restaurants too with space. Um, uh, I know your restaurants, the ones I've been to, have a have generally more more space to work around. We have some big restaurants, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. So. It's time for the final question. My next guest is James Kent. He is the executive chef of Crown Shy, a new American restaurant in Manhattan's financial district. And he is the owner of, and partner of J2K Creative with Jeff Katz. Um, Kevin, can you ask a question for James? I, I love James Kent, by the way. He's a, uh, he's a, he's a very good man. Um, yes. And I love Crown Shy. And so James worked with... Um, two people that I'm very close with, uh, Will Gadara for a long, long time at, at the Nomad um, and Led Madison Park. And he also worked with Lee Wolin. I want to know from James, what two, what things did he learn from both Will and Lee that he still carries with him today in his own restaurants? Awesome. I did not know he worked with Lee. So that's, that's you know, small world, small, small yes. world stuff. So, exactly. Great. Um, well, thank you so much. That's the show. And I, I'm, uh, you know, I really appreciate you taking the time and I wish you the best. I'm, I'm such, such a fan. And, you know, we did our interview when you won your James Beard Award last year in the red carpet. And um, I hope to get back to that red carpet with you. <laughs> That would be that would be really fun. God, I, I I think of that. I've always been a guy who likes to put things on the horizon that he can look forward to. And there's a couple of moments. One is the moment of just being back in the restaurants and and seeing them full again. And the other is like seeing the whole restaurant community back together again. Um, that James Beard weekend is such a great weekend because I have so many friends that you see um, through that weekend. So I, I can't wait to. Uh, to uh, actually hug some people <laughs> that I've that I've had so many conversations with over the past few weeks. Um, you know, we it really is a foxhole mentality right now. There's so many people in a foxhole together fighting, um, and on the other side of that, there's going to be a lot of love and a lot of humanity um, when we all get a chance to get back together again. So there's going to be a good balance, Sherry. I promise. Yeah, I hear you, and yeah, I can't wait uh, to get back out everyone together and to have some hugs as well. Um, yes. So, 
Well, thank you so much. I wish you wish you much success, and I I can't wait to get that hug with you in the near future. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. My guest today has been Kevin Baim. He is the co-owner of Boca Restaurant Group in Chicago, and he is also a part of the Independent Restaurant Coalition. Uh, his website's bocagrp.com, that's B-O-K-A-G-R-P.com, and saverestaurants.com, and on social media at Kevin Baim Boca, at Boca Restaurant Group, and at INDP Restaurants. Social media, you can find me at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, and at All Industry. My Facebook page is all in the industry, and my websites are BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and AllInTheIndustry.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. So tomorrow, May 28th at 3 p.m., I'm doing another Instagram Live at All Industry. Lucky Me is talking to Rita Jamey, the founder of La Caravelle Champagne. We can talk about what's happening in the bubbly business and, and the beverage industry uh, with COVID-19. So I'm looking forward to that. And that's on uh, Instagram stories at All Industry, and it will be saved at, as IGTV. Thanks to my engineer today, Amanda Wang, and thanks again to Kevin. I'm Sherry Bayer. Be safe and be well, and thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. I'm Sherry Bayer, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, HRN is celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.